I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome back to the Barton and Bud Show. Uh, we've got some good news to talk about. We've got more recruiting to talk about, as always. I think we're going to get into the mailbag because thanks to you guys, we got a lot of good topics that y'all want to discuss. We appreciate all the reviews. Keep them coming. Five stars. Give us a comment. That helps us out a lot as we continue to try to get traction on this show. But, Bud... How are we doing your way down in Florida? I know we got, uh, we got more commits. I know you've got an updated number for us on that front. Uh, what's going on your way, man? Man, we're doing pretty well. It's a little, little rainy and a little hot, but I'd I take the heat over the rain any day. So I'm just I'm, I'm hoping this lets up a little bit. Uh, so commits-wise, yeah, three – or excuse me, that's, that's ratings. I almost read off the, uh, the ratings number there. Commits, 861 players have committed right now. Uh, last year at this time, 376. So 861 versus 376. We are we are well ahead of double the pace. Now, of course, schools are going to run out of spots eventually. But, I, I man, I continue to believe if if things open up, if, if we get get visits, like visits opened up and, and players back on campus for that kind of stuff in time for kids to be able to take multiple visits, I, I think we're going to have like like some serious flips going on because there's, there's some mismatched prospects to their schools right now. It's going to be wild. It's, I mean, and so it'll be interesting to find out what that even means uh, when opening up would even take place. Obviously now uh, June is a time when campuses are starting to open up, college campuses in terms of getting guys there for workouts. Does that mean that uh, – the dead period will end in June and some kids will be able to get on campus. Does that even mean the kids will have the opportunity to take visits as much as they otherwise would have? Because I assume that locally their high school programs will be more intent on getting back to work and, and getting their hands on them as well. Uh, but, you know, so many of these local programs and local coaches understand the importance of, of recruiting and getting these guys a home on the next level. So, yeah, I think whenever the green light uh, goes up, I, I think that's, there's going to be all of a sudden this new influx of information that these guys are processing from the recruiting standpoint. And it's going to be flip season come early all over college football. And it's going to be kind of a wild ride to December and February as you throw the money signs, because yeah, a lot of people are going to want to find out about that. No doubt. That's going to be some awesome VIP content there. We also don't know, like, some schools may be open for visits and some schools might not. Like We really haven't got any direction from the NCAA on, on how it plans to handle this going forward. And we might have some high schools in some states play football in the fall and some not. I, I, I had this question on, on Twitter, and, and this is sort of off the cuff here, but it made me think of it. Um, like what happens if some high school state or like some states decide we're not playing high school football this year and, and a lot of states decide – that we are. In fact, I think we have a mailbag question maybe later in the show that touches on that a, a little bit. That, that's going to be really interesting. I, I think there's far less interconnectivity between state-to-state high school-wise than there is college football-wise because obviously states are not relying on massive TV contracts and, and conference agreements to make money. Uh, so they're really kind of like each on, on their own doing their own thing. That's, that's going to be fascinating. But uh, you mentioned players getting back on campus. We, we, we got some pretty good news about that this week. We did. In fact, I just pulled up Brandon Marcello's story on 24-7 Sports. Uh, you can find it. College football return dates is, is the, the, the headline of the story. You can just Google it. But uh, sort of around the country, they're starting to set dates of, of getting guys back on campus. The SEC, basically across the board, is June 8th. There's a couple of programs, uh, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, that have not announced a date, but the, uh, the SEC has sort of opened up the, the gates to allow people to get on campus. It looks like 
you know, Notre Dame seems to be working towards a June date, June 15th for Baylor, the rest of the Big 12, largely undecided, but Texas Tech, June 15th, Ohio State, June 8th, Iowa, June 8th, Illinois, Indiana, mid-June. So bottom line is sort of a June 1st to June 8th. I think even just right as we came on this, Clemson announced June 8th to get back with their kids as well. Uh, the 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 gates open like it's 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 heading towards uh, the the preparation the lead time for a college football season and and like to me this is this is huge news for the idea of a normalized college football season I I, I go back so I think back to like I guess this was probably mid to early April the very beginning stages of the quarantine and the lockdowns. And this was at a point when a lot of college coaches were still saying, you know, well, we're, you know, we hope to get on the field in the, in the spring or we hope to get spring practice back together with our players, or we hope to get on the road. Like this, there was still a little bit of denial that the things were just going to be locked down nationwide. And I remember talking to one coach, a college coach who was, who said, look, you know, people are saying may people are saying, you know, into March, he's like, look, I, realistically, I don't expect to, to be able to have access in person with our kids until June. And I thought that was a very sobering but measured way of, of looking at it and, and thinking about it. And I, I thought that that was also realistic. Like to me, I was like, you know what, you're probably right. That's probably about what we're looking at. And so I think it's so interesting that between that period of time and now, there was a lot of like, is the season even going to happen? A lot of doom and gloom, a lot of like just, just, just uncertainty, but, but for, for good reason. And I think it's really encouraging to me that when we think back to April, a measured, smart view of it was probably June, we get them, get them back with the perspective of and we'll play in the fall to now all the hubbub all the ups and downs the peaks and valleys and and just sort of fear and and, and concern and 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 uh precautions that we've taken between now and then and and the emotional roller coaster of whether it'll be a season here we are and june's approaching and sort of that measured take from april is going to hit or it looks like it's going to hit to me like that's a really encouraging sign for the reality of a of a relatively normal college football season for most of the country and you and i are, are two people who want college football to happen right it seems like some media members are kind of cheering for it not to happen which is kind of annoying to me but like, I, the the educated take back then was like, june would be awesome if, if we get it like we there was so much we didn't know even the best modeling out there was the, the variance on it was so big because of your inputs are, are suspect, right? And that's going to be the case with any sort of, you know, broad spectrum public modeling you, you could do. Uh, we did know what it, what it had done in other countries as far as how long it took to get it under control. So, you know, April, May, not really all that realistic. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, we'll be back. And, and your, your coach was, was dead on there just looking at what had happened in, in China and Italy. Uh, like, I, I think getting them back now in June – Probably the first or second episode we 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 t- we ever did on our maiden voyage for this show, we said, "Look, you don't have to have a vaccine in order to play football in the fall. You do have to be at least on the backside of the curve. The, the, the line cannot just be continually rocketing up, right, <laughs> and, and, and bring people back to to football. It looks like in many places we are we're, we're kind of there right now where it's starting to slide down some, and that's that's great news. And I'm I'm excited about having football in the fall." I feel like this is sort of when you, you, you and I both like to 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 put a few friendly ragers on football games. I feel like this is like when you when you feel great about a pick, you got whatever state you you know minus seven or whatever, and then opening kickoff, the other team runs it back for a touchdown. First possession, there's a turnover, and you're like, that was the dumbest pick of my life. This is going to be horrible. Like, what did I do? And then the game levels out. And the reason you picked it shines through, and ultimately, at the end of the day, your team ends up winning by twenty, and you're back to like, all right, I get it. Like that's, I feel like we've we've gone through that. We've gone through the pick sixes. We've gone through the 
kick return for a touchdown. We've gone through the mistakes along the way and things, I think, I hope, I mean, look, I don't know, but I hope things are leveling out a little bit, get, get guys back on campus in June, continue to have very limited issues in terms of the spread, and, and then we have some form of real football on Saturdays in the fall, and that's the goal, and, I, and I'm, I'm starting to feel confident it happens, even though I think there's a real, you know, there's some, some scenarios out there that, hey, maybe like, I don't know what the Pac-12 looks like this year. Like, I don't know if every team in the country is going to play 12 games. I don't know, you know, there's, there's probably some level of like, this, it's not going to be a uniform season that we're maybe used to, but I, I feel like we're going to have something to consume and something to enjoy and, and, and kids will be able to play the game they love. I'm excited about it. So I'm also really excited to get to our listener mailbag here. Like you said earlier, 308 ratings and reviews for, for a podcast that's only like what? Six seven weeks old now, I guess. Really enjoy doing this thing with you. I, yeah, man. I think we're two months old. This is uh, this is solid. Um, so we got one, two, three. We got like twenty questions in here. We're not going to, be able to get through all of these today. If you ask us a question in the Apple Podcast review section, we really appreciate it. I've taken and pulled all of them that we haven't done yet. Hopefully, we haven't answered any of these already. I don't think we have, but we'll just go for about you know an hour, and then uh, when we're done with it, we'll save them for next week. It's obviously still the offseason. There's still a chance we have a little prolonged offseason. Hopefully not, uh, but we need all the content we can get. And uh, we also have some cool stuff. Barton and I were kicking some ideas around on Slack this morning. He's like, do you want, you want to fire this bullet now or you want to kind of do a little more research on it and, and do it next week or the week after? And I, I think we're going to we're gonna have some really cool shows for you uh, in the coming weeks as well. And, and maybe, uh, maybe a week where we do two shows. Uh, but I'm going to kind of throw this one to you first. This is from... Uh, G. Rolfed, and first of all, he, he said a whole lot of nice things about us. He called us geniuses in the comment, and I was like, oh, here it goes. This is going to be a total smack talk one, but he, he was genuine in that, and I, I don't know if that's deserved, but uh, he says, the only question I have, uh, is there any analysis done comparing your rankings back to pro football focus, uh, specifically to compare how 24-7 is doing uh, prior to the draft? That, that's, that's an interesting question there. Yeah, I think... Um... You know, it's ultimately pro football focus is still a subjective grade on players. And so, sure, I think it's a it's a viable approach. Uh, the thing I like about pro football focus, even if even if there might be a few issues I have with sort of the way they they rate players, ultimately, they're doing it off of the legwork like they're digging. They're, they're watching every game. They're watching every play. They're grading every play. And so to me, that's like an, an incredibly valuable resource that, that, you know, is, is not the case with the other ways of evaluating a ranking, which is, you know, your uh, all, you know, all conference teams, all American teams, production, whatever, like those, those are all flawed. So I think I, I, I like the way PFF does it. I think the, you know, my only thing is when you are evaluating a player's ranking, a player's development is a moving target throughout his college career. And even after like, at what, at what point do you pinpoint and say, got it right or got it wrong or not doing well, you know, too late. We don't not worried about it anymore. Like at some point you just have to sort of stop the moving target and say, this is the moment in time we are saying we're going to measure it. And so, yeah, I think PFF sure. Like that's a fair way of like seeing how we're doing somewhere along the way during their career. But it ultimately, the final grade on their college career is the NFL draft to us. Like that's the, that's the bow. Like that's the, you you know, you present your resume of your college and let's see where you get taken. Uh, So, you know, otherwise a guy's PFF grade may, may fluctuate freshman to sophomore to junior year. Uh, Who's the, who is the cornerback from Florida state that just went undrafted uh, this Uh, year? McFadden. No. uh, Oh, Stanford Samuels. No, this, this cycle, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, uh, um, the short five star out of Virginia. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Levante Taylor. Uh, yes, he was like a, f- you know, one of the top graded PFF guys in the country as a, I think as a sophomore maybe, uh, and then he goes undrafted a couple years later. So like it just depends on where you want to pinpoint how you're evaluating someone. And my 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 favorite way to articulate the NFL draft is the best way to do that right now to me is is the idea that. If you are to look at an NFL draft in the future, in the past, whenever you want to do it, and take a snapshot of that draft 
and, and ask yourself this question. What does that order of players correlate best with? Their previous college success or their future NFL success? Without question, it correlates best with their previous college success. And I'm like, NFL success could go all over the place. Hall of Famers get drafted in the sixth round, whatever. But, you know, there's no college football. It's like the college football Hall of Famer that goes undrafted is, 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 is an incredible outlier that we rarely ever see. So, you know, that's sort of the, you know, that's kind of the why, way I, I view it and why I view it that way. It's interesting, too. I, I'm not saying that, that I, I don't buy into PFF's ratings. I, I think there's some value in them. Uh, but I, I really buy into their, their pro ratings a, a lot better uh, just from, from things I've heard. I, I think that's a superior product. It's one they've been working on for a, a much longer time. I think the, the schemes that people run in, in the pros are much more similar team to team than what you see in, in college for the most part. And, and a lot of that's because players transfer around you know, due to free agency and whatnot. And you have to have systems that are at least somewhat similar so, so guys on the taxi squad and through free agency can, can get on there. I, I don't know if PFF College is at a point to where we want to trust that as, as like the – Object, object, you know, metric. I, I don't think it's anywhere close to what the draft is at, at this point. Um, I just, I don't buy into their, their college ratings quite like I do their pro stuff. Yeah. I think ultimately the GMs are still our best, our best way of, of uh, determining who a player is. The other thing is, do we know, like, can you, if you're graded an 80 grade by PFF or whatever in the Sun Belt, is there any sort of competition level adjustment made for that? Or like, are you an eighty grade as well? If if you're in the SEC, like like like, you see what I'm saying here? If you do eighty percent of your assignments right, is that your grade for you know, for for like regardless? So like, is there any kind of competition uh, level adjustment being made? I'm 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 actually I'm not sure on that. I, though it seems like there would be because the otherwise the all conference player in I don't know I don't know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna to speculate. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> okay. Uh, so the next question is from Brennan King, and he asks, and this is one of Barton's favorite questions, what has to happen uh, for Clemson to truly be the team of the decade? Five championships in 10 years? Heisman's? Draft picks? Simply beating Alabama on the precious metrics uh, for their run this past decade? So I'll, I think this is interesting because Barton actually misread this question initially, and he read it, what has happened to make Clemson the, the, the team of the decade? Uh, I'll let him answer that one first, and then, and then I'll actually answer the question uh, how it was asked, unless you want to swap the order and have me go first. No, I'm, I'm happy to go. This, might, this right. is going to take me some time, though. So this is, I've got into a rabbit hole here because I think, it's, I think Clemson and their rise is a fascinating case study because we're, we're very much on the, you know, carrying the banner of recruiting matters talent trumps all you you know take your chances with the talented roster like that's that's your best bet and Clemson has recruited at a high level but Clemson hasn't built their championships in the same way Nick Saban at Alabama did his I mean Nick Saban is a phenomenal coach you know and Urban Meyer in the same way like those guys are 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 great coaches that that shouldn't take anything can be both a good recruiter and a good coach but I think those guys have consistently fielded teams that are usually more talented than who they're playing. I don't think Clemson's rise has necessarily always been like that. Hasn't always been the, the, the characteristic of the Clemson rise. So I I went back to the the beginning of the Dabo Sweeney era, um, or at least the beginning of the, the rise here. And so 2009, all right, so that's that. Clemson went, Clemson went nine and four, with Kyle Parker as their quarterback, Billy Napier as their offensive coordinator, Kevin Steele as a defensive coordinator. Five draft picks that cycle, only you know only one in the first three rounds, which was C.J. Spiller. All right, 2010 quarterback Kyle Parker, Napier and Steele are still their their coordinators. Six and seven was the record. And six NFL draft picks, pretty good. They had three in the first three rounds. 
uh, Jarvis Jenkins, Daquan Bowers, and Marcus Gilchrist. All right. The first time they actually took a leap and started being a more competitive team sort of in the national sense is 2011. So that was when they made a change at quick coordinator. And, and by the way, so Billy Napier and Kevin Steele both essentially failed as coordinators at Clemson, but both have, have regenerated into fantastic offensive and defensive minds in other sp- places. Steele at Auburn, Napier at, at Louisiana, and then at you know, Arizona State before that. But I think for one, like this is the first thing that Clemson was, did, did in a really impressive way. It's like making a change at coordinator – understanding he needed to Napier wasn't ready at the time. So give Dabo Sweeney a lot of credit for, for going out and making a really good hire in Chad Morris. But I don't even think Chad Morris is where they made their first step. They made their first step with Taj Boyd at quarterback in that 2011 season. So they go, they go 10 and four that year. You got Taj Boyd as your quarterback, Chad Morris as your offensive coordinator, and Kevin Steele, four NFL draft picks that year. Uh, three of them go in the first three rounds. All right, so so 2012, you build on Taj Boyd. All right, you get you Boyd your quarterback again. You make a change then at coordinator as well. You change from Kevin Steele to Brent Venables, another step up at the time, step up to an 11 and two year. All right, 2013, four draft picks that year, one in the first three rounds. 2013, they go to 11 and two, still Taj Boyd at quarterback. All right, and then and you still have Morris and, and Venables as your coordinators. Five NFL draft picks, but now your first quarterback, which is Taj Boyd, who goes in the sixth round. All right, 2014, 10 and three, back to, you know, take a step back again with Cole Stout as your quarterback. And Dabo didn't play Watson very Dabo much. Didn't, Dabo didn't play Watson. So then obviously we know what happens in 2015. You go 14 and one, and, and then you, you tear up again. Why? Because Deshaun Watson is your quarterback. So you got Deshaun Watson there. You got nine picks that year in the NFL draft. Four of them were first three-round guys. Jack Lawson, Kevin Dodd, Mackenzie Alexander, TJ Green. All right, 2016. Again, 14-1 again. You still have Deshaun Watson as your quarterback. Uh, you got Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott as your offensive coordinators the last two years. And then Deshaun Watson gets picked in the first round. 2017, step back, 12-2. Uh, and two, Kelly Bryant's your quarterback. 2018, big step forward again, 15-0. Trevor Lawrence is your quarterback. 2019, 14-1, Trevor Lawrence, your quarterback. That's a long pre – maybe that's rambling, but I think it's really interesting to lay it all out in the sense that, look, the way Clemson has done this is, is recruiting, but there's a lot of teams that have or did recruit in a comparable way to Clemson. What they did is they brought in they, – A, they landed good coordinators. They made – like Dabo Sweeney made smart – hires at important times in the coordinator positions. And secondly, look at, just look at their quarters of quarterbacks. It was a, it was a tear up at Taj Boyd. It was a tear up at Deshaun Watson and arguably it's a tear up at Trevor Lawrence. And when you have those kind of quarterbacks, that's, that's how you elevate an, a good roster to great. Like, yeah, I mean, the, you're going to have a bunch of guys drafted. And, and I think this is also interesting too. When you look at the, 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 distribution of who was drafted and again I, I typically value the first three rounds because those are the guys that are no-brainers that are like the the, the guys changing games um and when I, I just so when you talk about first three round picks and those that 10-year stretch one quarterback one running back five wide receivers or tight ends one offensive lineman 10 defensive linemen three linebackers seven dbs so you want, a re- you want like a recipe, it's defensive line, it's defensive back, it's quarterback. That's the Clemson recipe, at least. Defensive line, defensive back, quarterback, coordinators. Like that's the four-pronged plan that has made it allowed Clemson to be so successful. And so when you think about it in those terms, to me at least, I think about a lot of teams that are probably capable of recruiting at that level, but are you are you finding the quarterbacks? Are you settling a quarterback? Are you misevaluating a quarterback? Because if you get one, then it gives you a chance to get another, and you can't miss on that second try. And you can't, you know, everyone's everyone could get one. Everyone could get a Taj Boyd, but then can you go and find the Deshaun Watson next? Can you go recruit the Deshaun Watson next? Can you go recruit the Trevor Lawrence next? Can you go recruit the DJ Uyunglele next? Like it's remarkable what they've done. It's it's not meant to diminish what they've done. 
but it, it, I think it's very clear what the recipe has been. I completely agree with everything you said. I, I do think there are some important kind of nuances we should point out here. Are a lot of teams capable of recruiting at Clemson's level? From a pure talent perspective, yes, there's no doubt. Are they capable of maintaining the same culture that Clemson does while, while recruiting at that level? I would argue, I think far fewer are, are capable of doing that. A, because we look around and we don't see very many programs that have culture like that. But we know Clemson very carefully curates who it takes. There's a lot of guys they won't take. There's some guys recently who we've celebrated that have gone to other programs in the SEC who Clemson told no. We, we, we don't think you're a good kid. No, you 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 hit a girl. You you're at a different school now, right? Like we're not gonna take we're not gonna take a commitment from you. They will take a couple characteristics every year, and from what I understand from talking to guys on that staff, like it's they're really in on character and culture, and like they have to make sure. Okay, we might have seven eight knuckleheads on this roster. We're gonna have seventy nine non knuckleheads, right? And a lot of kids who are just genuinely good people who do the right thing. And if you're going to be one of those knuckleheads, you better be a really, really good player. Otherwise, we're not going to tolerate it. Their culture they create for the level at which they recruit is really kind of unparalleled. And they're extremely low attrition rate. I mean, Barton, they carry like a Northwestern Stanford level rate of attrition, which we just don't see with, with programs that sign that many four and five star kids. So, like, it seems like their hit rate on the guys they do sign. I'd put Clemson's hit rate up there against anybody in the country who recruits at, at like a top 25 level on a year year in year out basis. And a lot of that is their picky selection process. I, I think they could be three or four spots higher in recruiting rankings on an annual basis if they just went out and did, you know, I, I just, just give me talent, 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 talent. But that's just not what they do. The other thing I think they did a really good job of is they had some extremely embarrassing losses in the early part of the decade, right? I mean, West Virginia had the whole like honk if you scored 70 on Clemson thing, right? And that, that led to Kevin Steele, who was a pretty good coordinator for them for a while until that kind of last year with, with the breakdown stuff, like him being, being gone. And then in 2012, their number two team or number three team in the country, Florida State goes in there and beats them in Clemson by like four or five touchdowns. And it kind of felt like, remember the whole Georgia blackout thing? against Alabama, was that 08, I think it was, when, when Bama comes over there and just wipes them? And it's like, damn, Georgia's been building to this. You know, it's supposed to be Georgia's year. It's supposed to be Clemson's year. Then Bama comes in, and they're like, no, actually, we've arrived. No, thank you. We'll go ahead and take this SEC now. It kind of felt like that with Florida State going in there and stomping them that year with, with Taj Boyd and Sammy Watkins and all those dudes on that roster. But Dabo, to his credit, kept those kids believing. Like, that is hard to do after, like, the year before – you give up 70 to West Virginia, right? Like, we had the word Clemsoning for a reason. I know Dabo hates the word, but Clemsoning was a real thing for a while, and yet they kept performing at a high level overall, and they kept believing, and they kept getting better. I think that's a good point about the culture. Um, you know, like you, you said, you know, they would be higher in the recruiting rankings, not only if they took other guys that wanted to go there that are higher ranked, but if they just had more room in their class for the scholarships based on the attrition that most schools typically have. Um, so I, I'm just sort of, I think we've come to the conclusion that like Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, LSU, and Ohio State are the schools that are recruiting at a, a level that's just where they have national title rosters. I'm just looking at, at this uh, and you could throw Oklahoma in, in their mix because they're in the playoffs regularly. They always have a good quarterback play. I'm not going to include them in this discussion, but I'm just curious, it, spitballing here. I'm looking at the 2020 team rankings uh, after that top five, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exclude Oklahoma because, like I said, I, they're already basically there. But like A&M, Auburn, Texas, Florida, Tennessee, that's the – that's through the top 10. I'll go through like the 15 here. Or I'll go through like 16 because that's because, well, let me say this. Like Oregon, Miami, Michigan, Penn State, Washington, Notre Dame. Let's just say as schools that are have over the last few years typically been in that, that kind of contending for top tier class range. Do any of those jump out as classes that if they landed a – a tear up quarterback, not even like in a transcendent Trevor Lawrence, but just a quarterback better than what they've had that can make them a better team. 
that they can then build on to springboard into like a Clemson type of, of advancements. Do, do any of those just like jump out to you? This is a topic that I've been really interested on and just like, are we seeing a new class of, of super team? Right. And my initial answer is always yes. But I think if, if you argued it in the moment, you know, in, in prior decades, you could have, you could have said the exact same thing, right? Like, is, is Nebraska and Miami a new class of super team? You know, when, when they were winning five out of ten titles in a decade. So you mentioned those five, right? Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas, or excuse me, uh, Oklahoma, LSU. I think Texas absolutely could. Um, like, they, they recruit at a close enough level. Florida could. Michigan could. Auburn could. Penn State could. We have a Notre Dame question, so I'm going to push it off. But I think they're in the conversation and I think that's the way they have to do it, by the way, if you're Notre Dame. Uh, USC, clearly, Texas A&M, Florida State. The two here I, I think I want to include, and then there's kind of a drop, right, for me, are Miami and Washington. Like, if you want to include some West Coast powers. The next one's obviously, like, I think if you're going to put Washington there, you have to put Oregon in there. And then... Do you put Tennessee in there based on what they're doing right now? Like they haven't been able to sustain this at all, and like if they don't have a good year on the field, there's a pretty good chance their class somewhat falls apart. But I think you put them in, and then after that, man, there is a huge drop off. Like after after those teams I just listed, and the drop off is like Stanford, South Carolina, Maryland, Nebraska, UCLA, Arkansas, Mississippi State, Kentucky, North Carolina, Ole Miss, Virginia Tech, Arizona State, Pitt, TCU. Like to me, that's where the huge drop off is. You know. Everybody else that we listed kind of gets athletes, and if you get a super QB, I, I could see him making a run, not a Bama five-year type run. So, and to 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 narrow down the exercise even more, I guess I think of it as like who has the Clemson recipe in that all they're missing is that quarterback, and they have maybe a really f- strong foundation in terms of their like. The, the, my worry with Texas is like. There's been like I don't have confidence in the rest of their program yet. I don't have right. confidence in the stability in the coaching staff, the coordinators. Like they still have a lot to prove there. Um, oh, okay. So yeah, I was answering it more from the perspective of right. Like, and I didn't, can they I didn't, get the talent and then level up just with the quarterback? Right. I'm trying to think of it more in the term. I didn't specify. I didn't. I didn't clarify that. But I'm trying to think of it more in the terms of like from a who can do sort of what Clemson has done. I think Penn state is, is, is definitely, I'm looking at Auburn and I'm wondering about Auburn because I, I, I just wonder how much I ding Auburn for, for being turned off by Gus Malzahn's offense. But yes, like they have the, they have the coordinator, they have a head coach and Hey, maybe they like, they're about to have the former Clemson OC and Chad Morris. Like it makes a lot of sense. So yeah, maybe, maybe Auburn is, is the one Uh, I think Auburn makes sense. I think Penn State, like you said, yeah. Penn State definitely makes sense. We'll talk Notre Dame; they make sense, but but we'll we'll dig in more on them in a question later. Uh, I think Florida makes some sense in the sense of what could Dan Mullen do with a quarterback? Because then it's about we've already seen what Dan Mullen could do with Dak Prescott. So what happens if when Dan Mullen gets that kind of a talent at Florida? Maybe he has him with Kyle Trask. We'll see. But you know what's the what's the follow up? act at Florida with that. And I think Tennessee is a fair one to, to sort of put in the mix there uh, as, as far as like they could get their Taj Boyd. Like they need their Taj Boyd. They don't need their Deshaun Watson. Like they're, they're, they, could just, they could just start taking the steps towards the Clemson track if they just get their Taj Boyd. That's, that's the first step. Maybe that's Harrison Bailey. Uh, we'll see. And then, you know, I look, I think Michigan is – like they, they, yeah, like they, they haven't had a Taj Boyd in a while either, really. I mean, yeah. give him a six, give him a six round quarterback and let's see what Michigan can do. Um, that, that, that would be fair. I mean, but point being, like, it's a, it's an interesting exercise to think about. Like, when you think about Clemson as more of a product of, I mean, there's a lot that's gone into it, but a product of quarterbacking and a product of Dabo Sweeney's leadership and making good hires, it, it makes, it frames it as a little bit more of an attainable route. As hard as that is, it's still you're still a couple hires and a couple recruit like and a couple players away from from sort of accelerating in a really dramatic way. There's no doubt. All right, so let's go ahead and go to uh, SC two four seven eight five five. He writes on your position use series: Wisconsin and Michigan rated in the top four for edge players. 
Iowa has also had success recruiting lower-rated players at offensive line and tight end. Last year, the on the move uh, uh, on excuse me last year on the move the sticks podcast, Tony Romo's high school basketball coach came on uh, and mentioned that, that the Northern kids are often not as heralded, uh, but can sometimes be more athletic slash have a wider base of skills because it's too cold to play football 365 days a year. So many of them play basketball, wrestle, or other sports. Matt Rule and others have emphasized how much they prefer two-sport athletes. You guys also mentioned two-sport athletes or multi-position high school players. Do you think there's something to this idea in outperforming expectations for the position you stuff and records in general? Uh, or do you think ratings are now better able to capture athleticism slash diverse basis of skills, he writes. I mean, we're, we are trying to capture athleticism and diverse uh skills like like never before and so um i think we're more equipped for it i don't know that anyone that others in the industry harp on it quite as much as we do i mean this is like my thing this this, what this question is sort of my um i don't know my pet my pet project my i mean I, i even people on message boards even like kind of bust my chops on it and and act like it's more important for a guy to play basketball than, than play football to me. And while that's obviously an exaggeration, it's, it is important to, to me because we are dealing with the, the odds, like the, the odds and, and playing the numbers and the odds that a player who is in Southern California who plays seven on seven year round and only plays one side of the ball on his high school team with a bunch of other, you know, FBS prospects, is going to be a better long-term player than the kid in Wisconsin that plays quarterback for his high school team, plays four sports, and doesn't play seven-on-seven year-round. If that kid in Wisconsin is is a good athlete, then I give me him. And but the problem is they're harder to find because they're not as they're not as as readily apparent in in terms of like their their football skill set. So yeah, I, I believe in that in a in a big way and. Like one, I think one one interesting example. I think back to like Trey Waynes, who came out of Michigan State as a first round pick, a cornerback, and you look back at his high school profile, and he ran a ten seven five hundred meter dash in Wisconsin high school in track. And granted, he ran some indoor track too. But like, if he's running a ten seven five in the hundred meters in Wisconsin, what is that kid running in Florida? If he's if he's you know running year round, and so. I think it helps. I do think it helps sort of find those guys. I do think in terms of like the idea, like multi-sport players are, are huge in two respects. Like one is they are cultivating skills that you're not cultivating in terms of, of like focusing and specializing in football, but, but maybe more importantly from our end, if you're a great athlete and an elite athlete that has a future in the NFL and a future dominating other good athletes, you're probably good at more things than one. You're probably really good in everything you do. Like, that's what I want. If I'm building a team, if I'm a director of player personnel, I want my team, I want when we go out and we play wiffle ball as a team bonding activity in the summer, I want dudes that are jacking it, like over the wiffle ball fence or whatever, like over the, the, the parking lot or whatever we're doing because they're just good at stuff. Like if, if I got a bunch of guys that all they can do is backpedal and do ladder drills, then I don't think I've got a well-rounded group of athletes. I want guys, you throw the basketball out there and they can all get after it on the basketball court. They all dunk. Uh, I want guys that when you're playing wiffle ball, they can, they can blast shots to, to left field. I want guys when you're playing croquet, like they are good at it. Like players that are good at everything they do to me are what you want to build a team around. And obviously there's exceptions, but I, I, I believe strongly. And I think that's why Iowa has a lot of success. Wisconsin has a lot of success. I think that was fascinating when I dug into edge guys, finding out that like of Wisconsin's edge guys, four of them were was from Wisconsin and unheralded. And it's like, they got athletes up there too. You just got to, you got to put them in the right place. The thing is there's not the depth of them. You know, there's only, you know, there's hundreds of there are thousands of kids in South Florida. There's, you know, 50 in Wisconsin that are actually like up to the task. So I think it's finding the right ones, but yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer. Like whatever. You're always going to get me on a soapbox. If you talk multiple sports. I mean, look, it's not to the point where Barton comes in our, our, our Wednesday recruiting calls. And he's like, guys, you got to see this dude crack the whip out of the Iditarod. Okay. Now, I mean, he, I, I, he's never actually held a football, but I, I think if you look at the motion, the athletic angle and the off balance whipping, it really, tra- like, we're, we're not there, but like, man, this is, 
It really, I think it is important. It, it, it matters. And, and like a large portion of our, our recruiting calls after we go through the, like what we're doing now, we're having guys from different regions watch people because we're not going to camps. We have a little more free time. So we're really digging in on the film, but we also dig into the athletic testing numbers and including the, the your track times. Right. And we'll say, okay, like that's a pretty good track time. What did he run that on? Like, is that a wind dated thing? Like how, how much did he beat the rest of his field by? Right. Like you may have a, a, a a time for Minnesota that's maybe not that great, but if he beat everybody else by by two or three tenths, it's like oh okay, like that's that's worth t- worth taking note of, right? This guy is kind of a different level athlete uh, compared to the, the you know the people he normally plays. I, I think that could translate. So, a uh, good question at SC, and that is that was just on a tee, man. That that was that was perfect. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna you're, yeah you're gonna get me off track if you start talking about non specialization and multi sport backgrounds. Uh, right, let's so see. Yeah, what we are got. You, are you logged back in now? Yeah, yeah. We got the Notre Dame question here. Yep. All right. Yeah, Nick Baker. All right, Nick Baker. Where you at, buddy? Um, now I've lost already. Uh, you go. Uh, for, oh, here we go. My question about Notre Dame before we before the bowl game versus Iowa State. Brian Kelly talked about leveling up on recruiting and getting to a top five class. I think coronavirus has played a part in losing some recruits. Deion Colsey and maybe Will Shipley. Do you think Notre Dame? can get to a consistent top five class in today's landscape, or are we going to be in really good, but not good enough purgatory for the rest of the BK era? Well, uh, hmm. You'll put good, good cop, bad cop on this, or, or, or <laughs> how are we going to do it? Uh, so I, I've thought a lot about this, but go ahead. You, you, you can take the first stab at this. All right. Consistent top five, like the the qualifier on this man is is is, is my hangup because I think Notre Dame can land top five classes on occasion. I don't think they can do it consistently. We, we just got done talking about you know can Clemson level up and recruiting if they wanted to? Yes, they could. They, they they absolutely could take some more talented, like physically talented guys who are more character risks. Notre Dame, if it so chooses, could take more ag- guys academically who might not succeed there for for all four years. They they could take some guys character-wise, who, who they currently uh, don't. They could perhaps uh, adopt some recruiting practices that maybe some other schools adopt in terms of, of benefits and whatnot uh, that I think maybe they, they don't engage in to the same extent that those schools do. But I'm going to say consistent top five class? No, I, I don't. Uh, I think there's too many teams that have too much access to talent in their own backyard and have no character or academic restrictions that, that allow them to select from a wider pool. But I do think Notre Dame could level up in recruiting. Yeah, I, I think Notre Dame – I don't think Notre Dame – like this is, this is a – my opinion on Notre Dame recruiting has been curated over time here to, to where I feel like I, can, I finally got a clear vision of what I want to articulate with Notre Dame. I don't – look, yes, they should try to recruit at a higher level. But I don't think Notre Dame has to recruit top five recruiting classes. I think, I think if you're Georgia, if you're LSU, if you're Alabama, if you're Ohio State, though, though that's a little bit different, and if you're a lot of these sort of um, you know, Texases of the world, like, yeah, I think you should be – if you're not recruiting the top five, I think you're not, you're not doing it well enough. Clemson, though, we just talked about it. Clemson has not recruited – consistently in the top five for a number of reasons. Now, the thing about Clemson, though, is they can win on, on just about anybody. They're a threat to win on just about anybody. I don't think Notre Dame is at a point right now in their recruiting where other programs are scared when Notre Dame jumps in the mix. That's what Notre Dame has to get to. They have to get to a point where when they want a guy and they jump in the mix, other teams are scared that Notre Dame is now in the, in the chat room. And so that, but, but here's the thing though, that to me is very different than just quote recruiting at a top five level, because I think that Notre Dame, because of who Notre Dame is, because of Notre Dame's culture, the type of person that Notre Dame needs to recruit. I think that they really are largely can recruit and should recruit in the same manner that, that Clemson does. And so here's the thing with Notre Dame, like the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, six priorities for recruiting are get your quarterback. Maybe Ian Book is their Taj Boyd, like we talked about earlier. 
And maybe Tyler Buckner, who is their 2021 commit, is their Deshaun Watson. I think that there is a chance of that. I think Tyler Buckner is really probably pretty good. I think there's a chance that he is their Deshaun Watson, but they really haven't had their guy prior to this. I mean, Deshaun Kaiser got drafted high, but I don't think anyone like necessarily thinks that that was, that was the, the window that Notre Dame had for, for making a run. They need to get their quarterback, and then they need to be good because I think the talent on the roster in place is, 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 good, in, is good enough with a quarterback to, to go and win some of those games against those type of teams that they need to beat. But, here's the, but like here, here's the other thing on the recruiting thing with Notre Dame because I think this is an important clarification to make. The, the best players on Notre Dame's team this year are, might very well be Kyle Hamilton and Jeremiah uh, Awusu-Koromoa. And those guys, when you think about their recruitment, yes, Notre Dame beats Georgia on Kyle Hamilton. But when Notre Dame prioritized him, he was a three-star kid. Notre Dame made him a priority. They out-evaluated, they out-recruited, and they won him. And he is, happens to be a perfect fit for Notre Dame. Jeremiah Awusu Koromoa was someone that was committed to Virginia that Wake Forest was recruiting and they sort of pulled him over when Clark Lee and Mike Elko came over and they pulled him from like a a Wake Forest level recruitment. And now he's going to be maybe a first round pick. And so when we're ranking guys, we have the entire process to correct our mistakes and to get it right. Colleges don't have that luxury, right? They got to, they got to, so what, what Notre Dame, I don't think, I do not think that they should do is chase stars. Like that's a huge, especially at Notre Dame, like if you're chasing stars, that's a mistake. But I think you have to be able to identify who you really want and you have to be able to win some of those battles. Like that, that's, that's not something that Notre Dame consistently does enough of, but the stars next to their main name really doesn't matter. It's more about when they prioritize a guy, who's going to win between Notre Dame and Ohio State? Right now, Ohio State's going to win nine of those ten. It's got to be a flip of a coin. Absolutely, it makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, they they they've got to find some some edges in scouting. Like we just got done talking in the prior question about all, all these kids from the Midwest, right? Like Notre Dame's got to find those dudes. It doesn't have to be finding Kyle Hamilton out of Georgia. I mean, that's great that they did. But like, if 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 we allegedly have all these kids in Notre Dame's backyard in some of the some of these colder midwestern states who have all this unlocked potential like go find them irish like that 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 could be be the way that that's that's potentially your your market inefficiency iowa and wisconsin don't have to have a, the, the stranglehold in that market plus if if and and the reason why i think it's so important to get your quarterback because i do think their roster is close enough now it's sort of a top 10 top 15 roster and if you get your quarterback then i think that that could be enough to where you can win with him brian kelly's a good enough coach They've got good enough development. They they're they're a good enough team to where they can compete in a in a meaningful way for a national championship. And then if you get that year where you are legitimately on the doorstep of a national championship, I'm not talking about making the playoffs and getting blown out. I'm talking about like you were a team that everyone was like, man, Notre Dame was different. That squad could roll. Then then all of a sudden the the recruiting starts to become easier. And I, I just think Notre Dame is, is is on the they're they're outside the club right now. Like they can't get in the club, the cool club yet, because I I think they just A, they're not they're not that from a recruiting standpoint. This this whatever, the staff, this this team, like there's not like that's not who they are from a recruiting standpoint right now. But that's who they can be, I think, if they get that win. I think the quarterback, they're close enough to where they get the quarterback that that, that, could, that could put them over the edge. And like, let's not forget, the, the really elite kids that Notre Dame is in on for the most part, those are the elite kids that everybody wants. Because nobody's going to say, hey, Barton, I really don't want this great culture kid who also happens to run 4-4 in my program. Right? So like the, the battles they're fighting for those 4-5 and five stars they do choose to recruit for the most part are really hard-fought battles, man. Like They're, they're not... Notre Dame's not often getting this five-star, or well, we don't really have these anymore. But like these four-star, who everybody else backed off of, and he's still, you know, uh, still a four-star in, in the ratings. But other schools knew some stuff. Like the, Notre Dame's usually the school that knows the thing, right? Like they're they're not typically grabbing that low-hanging fruit. And I agree with you; they shouldn't, you know, should not try uh, to start doing that. After we go through our our ad break here, we will uh, come back and talk a couple more listener questions. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Uh, so we are back from our ad break and back into the listener questions. Very much appreciate you all going on Apple Podcasts, giving us that five-star rating, five-star review. This one comes from dgao 33 Said some nice stuff about the show, and he asks, uh, how does recruiting in the Northeast differ from, say, Texas, Florida, or California? What things should high school athletes seek out uh, to better expose themselves if they live in non-recruiting hotbed locations? Uh, so I guess this is this is a question coming from the um, the perspective of the recruit. Is that how you're reading this? I think so. Either that or maybe a parent or high school coach, but yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say I think it's important to get to college camps. Uh, it's important for for coaches to see you. Uh, and so if you can do that, great. But if it, in lieu of that, sort of to circle back, like if you, you know, run track, like if you're a good athlete, if you're not a good athlete, I can't help you that much. Like, I don't know. I mean, I don't mean to be rude, but like, if you're not Steroids. really, yeah, like if you're not really good, then you can't, you can't juke the system. Like you, you should, you should, honestly be okay going play in fcs or division two like those are those are good too like that's okay um there's nothing wrong with that don't try to trick yourself into getting on a into a, a good school uh, or a high level program if you're not good enough but that aside if you are like an elite player you know the thing that that i think helps players that and we talk to coaches all the time and they're like you know look at this kid with this kid's a stud and they don't send me his football film they send me if the film of him in the gym messing around and and dunking. They they send a film of him, you know, power cleaning three hundred fifty pounds. Um, I think if you have some of those traits and skills, present them, put them on Twitter, get them out there, send them to coaches so that they can then say, hey, so that, that way they can watch the film and they can know what they're looking at. It certainly helps me when I have something else other than the film. The track time, uh, you know, I, I hate to sort of just go back to this multi-sport stuff, but it's just a verifier. Like if you are from an area that doesn't get foot traffic, then you ha- then all then all you're missing is that is is coaches to verify, validate who you are. So give them something to validate it. Give them something. All rims are ten feet. I don't care if you've never played basketball before in your life. If you can go tomahawk on a ten foot goal, that's going to be something that coaches will then be able to say and be like, all right, at least I know he's not a bum. Like, I know he's got some athleticism in him. No doubt. That makes a lot of sense there. All right. Uh, so, Longhorn3210, he asks us, uh, over the years, I've had the theory that Texas high school football players are often maxed out after high school because of the culture and terrific coaching in that state. Uh, I have mixed feelings because uh, of draft results, but there are many examples that do support the theory. What do you all think? I, I've certainly heard it. Uh, I'm sure Barton has, too, uh, that you know, like these Texas guys are, if not maxed out, a little bit closer to their ceiling, perhaps, which I, I think is uh, is a little bit too much of a, of a generalization. Although I, I think if you took like an average sampling of kids from Texas versus kids from Florida, I, I, I think there, there's probably some truth to the idea that Texas kids are a little bit close to being maxed out uh, simply because Texas high school programs have much nicer facilities. I mean, like you, you go to some of the, these, basically wherever the opening or Under Armour camp is that year, and it's like, oh, hey, Here's a $12 million indoor facility that we also uh, have literally on our campus. And in Florida, like you don't have programs that have indoor facilities. You, you don't have the nutrition and the multiple strength coaches on, on a high school football staff. So there are reasons to believe that uh, maybe on average, a Texas player might be a little more closer to his ceiling 
than a Florida player simply because he's had more opportunities for development. Uh, whereas, you know, Florida, oftentimes these kids are really, really raw. And you recruit some kids from Florida, and it's like, hey, if I put 50 pounds on this kid, and the coach isn't joking. You know, they're like, hey, I mean, it'll, it'll take me two years, but once he gets three meals a day and actually lifts some weights, he's going to be a beast. But we do see that sometimes in Texas too, man. Like, it's not like that never happens in Texas. I think the issue is one of frequency. How often do we see that having to, you know, happening in Texas? How often do we see that happening in Florida? Do you remember, um, I assume, I mean, I just assume you followed this. I know you were, you were in Florida, but I think you were pretty dialed in nationally. But I mean, when the, the Texas Mac Brown regime started going downhill. Um, oh, yeah. Do you remember like the, the, the way they recruited? That basically like February would come around. They'd have two big junior days and they would fill their class. Like they take 20 commits in February for the following February. So before anyone's played a down of football, before anyone's played a down of spring football, Texas would basically have their class filled. And it was basically because they could. They could almost just get it out of the way. It was like making your bet on the river after the turn card. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. like, well, what are we doing? And they, so they would they pick because they could pick. I mean, they had first pick. And so they would take – they would they would pick first and pick early. And you are by definition at that point taking maxed out players. Like you're, you're taking early developers. And so that, that kind of doomed Mac Brown and it, it, it proved to, to come back and bite him. And so I still think that that, I mean, there's still guys that are overexposed, you know, have been trained their whole life, seven on seven, their whole life, all the stuff we talked about earlier. But I mean, as the the commenter uh, Longhorn thirty two ten, as he said, like yeah, there's some skepticism to the idea that they're all maxed out because, like, I just looked at this year's draft. Uh, first five guys from Texas taken: Okuda, Steve Lamb, Caleb on Chasen, Jalen Rager, Kenneth Murray. All those guys were no were like no doubt guys. Chasen certainly wasn't maxed out because his first year playing football was a junior year, um, but. All those guys had offers from everybody else. But the next six taken were Jordan Brooks, Jeff Gladney, Robert Hunt, Ross Blacklock, LaVisca Chenault, and Antoine Winfield. Other than Blacklock, none of those guys were highly rated. So they're, they're still good players in Texas. The point I'm getting to is that sometimes the best players in Texas aren't the earliest developers. Um, and so I think that... Did any of those guys go to A&M or Texas? Any of, the, any of those 12? It was something like the first, I think it was like this first 17 or something didn't go. Let me see. Well, I got it. I got it right here. First 11, 12, 13, 14. I think the first 14 or so guys did not go to Texas or A&M. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's something to the idea that because high school football in Texas is so popular, like we have websites dedicated to high school football in Texas. We have magazines, like preseason magazines about Texas high school football. Do you think that like the celebrity level of these players the high school at the high school level is so much greater than it is in other states that it might cause their hype to be like within their own state, sort of out, you know, out of control a little bit. And the, those schools focus in on those guys who are really stars at the high school level more so than perhaps projecting them as much as they should have been doing four or five years ago. Because the, the, the results would say that the teams with the top picks, Texas and A and M, in the draft uh, have not been projecting enough and perhaps have been relying a little bit too much. On, on guys who were just studs in high school. Absolutely. I mean, think about it. Like if you've got a guy that's, you, you know, you're building your board out after their sophomore years and he's the top of your board and it's just going to be just like in 24 seven sports rankings, like the guys that we miss, I guarantee you that the guys that we miss on, I, I haven't done this study, but I guarantee you the guys we miss on are the guys that are ranked earliest and the, and the guys that we move up late are, are more, rare that is that those guys are misses and it's because we're we're it's a more reactive ranking and so from a from the college perspective i really think that you're going to get in trouble when you're you know you you're you're fixated on the guy you've been watching since sophomore year instead of being willing to like identify and look you've been recruiting and building a relationship with them and then you want to take them and so i think that's a really tricky thing for for colleges to to navigate is making sure that you're, you're recruiting them early enough 
while also uh, leaving the opportunity for other guys to to grow in your subconscious or your consciousness. Um, There's also incentive there, right? Like like it, if you're a college, there is an incentive to move on to the next class because you're getting the jump start. And I think that there is a breaking point where it does make sense to move on to the next class. Devote your scouting resources to, assuming that they're they're you know finite. Devote your resources to the next class. Start looking at the next class. Get get a jump start on that next class. Uh, I'd be interested to see if some schools can have a, an advantage simply by by waiting back a lot and and really focusing on late developers and being willing to you know to punt maybe on some of these January February junior days that, that some of these schools seem to have. I, I don't think anybody will do it, but if if one team did it while well, the rest of the market focused on on the next class, they might have an advantage. Just self disclosure here from our standpoint. It makes a lot of financial sense, you know, sense as a business to start to look at the next class a, a, as well for us. But I think we did take a good job this year and really focus on those final ratings, perhaps more so, at least from my understanding, I haven't been here that long, uh, than we did in prior years. Like we really took time to, to look at senior years more. Shay Dixon and I were talking, Shay, we, we talked about this on the podcast, but Shay Dixon, who's, who runs our LSU site, uh, was ha, observed that LSU's last offer in the past, I don't know how many classes it was, five or something. And last take were, I want to say it's either last the last take in the class and or the lowest rated player in the class, maybe both, um, has always been drafted. And I think that speaks to the late risers. And it almost makes you wonder if, and we, I talk about this with Shay, like if you're a program like LSU and you have a state like that, Louisiana and certainly Texas, the state of Texas would fall into this category as well. Georgia probably would, and the big ones probably would. But if you just sort of carve out and say, no matter what, we are going to leave two, maybe three spots available in our class, and we're going to take the best senior risers in our state and or or, or go try to recruit those guys. And because if you're a state that dominates your your if you are a program that dominates your state, like LSU does Louisiana and recruiting, you kind of have the, the ability to do that, but you also often aren't going to have room for those guys when they rise up. Um, there was a kid in the state of, of Louisiana this past year that uh, Jonathan Horton was his name, um, who was his first year playing football as a senior. His film is ridiculous. It's absurd. And he commits to Virginia and LSU probably didn't really have room for him, but that's the type of kid that, you know, if LSU just sort of carves out a, a spot or if Texas carves out a spot in the state of Texas and, you know, for those senior risers, like I bet pretty good chance. A lot of those guys are going to hit. Um, it's, I mean, obviously that's a, that's maybe easier to, to, to draw up in, in theory than it is in practice, but it's a, it's kind of an interesting, you know, kind of, gets to I think the the point of the question originally is like the idea of yeah I mean a lot of players are maxed out in a lot of states it's just a matter of whether you're picking the right ones because there's still a lot of guys getting developed out of the state of Texas that are really elite if I ran a program I would pay a a computer programmer to scrape the offer lists of basically all FBS programs daily right just 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 write some code because there's not we don't have like like an offer feed on 24 7 so you would have to go to each team's offer list daily it's not that hard to write that code, I don't think. And then you could actually generate an offer report and you could filter it in different ways. And, and if you had some programs that you know and respected that you think, hey, they, they do a good job recruiting our area as well. Maybe they recruit a little bit lower level prospect than we do, but occasionally like we cross paths with them or just in, in their own backyard. Like they're, they're sitting on a guy, they finally they finally offer him. I, I think that would be well worth the money to, to, to write that script and, and just get that daily scrape and get that report. I know there's some, some services out there that sell something like that but it's not really a scrape. It's more like they, they rip it off Twitter, and I don't know how well you can filter and sort it. Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to to do it almost, um, you know, take these strategic looks at it. Like, you know what? I want I want to I want to find out every time SMU offers a kid in the state of Texas, or I want to find out every time Billy Napier's staff offers a wide receiver, or I want to find out every time, uh, you know, you know whatever, like Louisiana tech offers a Northern Louisiana kid. I don't know. Like, I think that there's a lot of, you're right. I mean, there's, if you could tailor that 
to sort of more specific criteria other than just like, I want to see this, this school's offer list every day. Uh, that could be, that could be really valuable information because, because not all, not all offers are, are created equal and not all, you know, I don't trust every offer that, that, uh, I don't want to name a specific school, but, but you know, there, there's, there's, there's offers that, uh, that mean more by position or by region, depending on whose school you're talking about, uh, than, than others. And some kids lie. I mean, literally in our Slack, we, we have guys who point out like, Hey, this staff just told me this kid who put this offer on Twitter, uh, it's not real. He just made it up to get attention. Like if you were using something that's a little more curated as opposed to just what the kids put on Twitter, I think it'd be a pr- better pro. I, I might hit up tech about that. That'd be kind of cool. Like the daily offer report, you know, we could, we could focus on some prospects who are, are blowing up with offers. That'd be neat. I tell you, coaches, college coaches would be all over it because, like you said, I mean that that is that I mean that some degree of that already goes on. What we're talking about, um, and and that's I, I, when I talk to coaches, one of the more valuable, just sort of data points and and out there that they that they monitor is just making sure they know are aware of everybody that they want to be aware of. Absolutely. Uh, well, we are a minute five into this thing. I think we'll probably call it call it a day for this week. Really appreciate y'all listening to the Barton and Bud Show on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network. Guys, make sure you check out the College Ball Daily as well and and the new 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Really good stuff going on there. Check out Josh Pate on the Whip or excuse me, on Late Kick and Steve Wiltlong on the Whip Around. And make sure you give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. We are available, Apple Podcasts, obviously, Spotify, Stitcher, etc. So hit us up there and really appreciate y'all listening to the show.